Welcome to the Community Fellowship Podcast, your way to stay connected with biblically-themed messages, discussions, and interviews from Community Fellowship in East Bernard, Texas. Learn more about our church at the cfeb.church website, check us out on social media at CF East Bernard, or attend an in-person service at 635 Main Street in East Bernard. We are a local church that works to make the love of Christ for all humanity known to our community and the world. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this week's content. Well, Katie uh, was um, a new freshman in high school and she had lived in Africa for most of her life, homeschooled. And so she was unaware of kind of the, the social scene when it came to coming into high school. And so for her first day, as she's trying to get to meet uh, different people, she's a little bit taken back as um, this, she's not given a, a lot of grace and a lot of kindness uh, from many of the high schoolers. In fact, she goes to lunch, and as she's getting her milk, uh, she turns around and she sees a seat open, to which someone, another high school student, quickly puts a backpack there and says with their nod, keep moving. She finds another one, same thing, till eventually Katie goes into the restroom to eat her lunch. Yes, yes, I did just use a Mean Girls reference, all right? Um, but here's why, because we all understand that feeling, right? We understand what it feels like to not be included, to not be wanted, to not be a part, but I think there's nothing worse than not being invited to the table. Well, we, we've started a series last week called that, The Table, in which we're just looking at the life of God's people and how table fellowship has been so instrumental in the life of God's people. And last week, you might remember that we looked at the Shabbat meal, uh, the Sabbath dinner, and, and we saw how it was a place of rest that God had intentionally given to the people of the Old Testament. And then we drew some principles from it for our own family lives. Uh, and so we looked at that. Well, this week, we're looking at another Old Testament passage. Um, it's actually one that's not often used, and it's really sad because it's an incredible passage. I think we're going to see that today. It's a beautiful passage that I see the mercy and grace of God in the Old Testament foreshadowing to the New Testament. So if you want to turn there with me, we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. And I know that I just reminded you um, a few minutes ago, but please be intentional about looking for a family that you can invite over to have a dinner with, to have breakfast with, have a meal with, or maybe you even just want to go out with them. That's fine too. I don't want it to be complicated for you. It's just the idea of getting to know our neighbors and to love them well. Because I think what we're going to see is that the table can be a really great place to extend the grace of God. And in fact, this morning, that's my goal. My goal is that as we look at this passage, for those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, that we would see three principles of how we let our tables be a place where we can extend grace to our neighbors. So we're, like I said, we're in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Let's start reading there in verse 1. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. 
They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He's lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Mekir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Mekir, son of Amiel, and when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Okay, so just so we have a little bit of bearings on this passage, this is King David, and he has become king. Yes, this is the same exact king, this is the same exact David that was the shepherd boy who took down Goliath, all right? But you might remember that David's not the first king of Israel. David's actually the second king. The first king is King Saul, right? But King Saul, unfortunately, had disobeyed God, and so God told him, hey, your time as king is coming to an end. The timer is out on this. The clock is winding down. You're not going to be king for long. And in fact, God anoints David as the next king, okay? So uh, David's becoming the next king. Saul grows furious with that because here's the thing. In Middle Eastern culture, it was known that the son of the king would be the one to inherit the throne after the father died. But God sees the hand of blessing on David's life. Everything David does from his battles to his relationships, he can see that God's got his hand on David. And one of those relationships is the relationship and the friendship that David has with Saul's son, Jonathan. Jonathan saw it. Jonathan saw that David was going to be the next king. In fact, I'm convinced if Jonathan hadn't died, I'm convinced that Jonathan was willing to give over his role as king to David because he recognized David as being the anointed king of God. That's how close they were in this relationship, and that's how much Jonathan thought of David, okay? Now, as Saul is hunting and going after David because he just grows furious and jealous of everything that David is, as Saul is chasing him, Jonathan and David make a covenant. They make a promise to one another. And Jonathan asks David, he says, will you, will you please show loving kindness, the loving kindness of God, will you show that to my family? always. And so David says yes, but then David has to dart. David has to run because Saul is wanting to kill David. He sees him as public enemy number one. 
Now, scholars kind of debate on how long this went on, but it's somewhere in between 10 and 15 years that David is on the run from Saul. So it comes to pass, Saul, Jonathan, and a few other of Saul's sons, they're killed in battle, which eventually allows David the freedom to be able to kind of step in and take over kingship of Israel. So now, in this passage, David is king. And the first thing that a new king would have done in that culture was to go and make sure that every single living member of the former leader's house was dead. So what David was supposed to do would be to hunt out and kill all of Saul's family, his sons, his daughters, his grandchildren. And the reason was because they didn't want there to be a coup. There didn't want to be sometimes where they would rise up and they say, no, that's my father's throne. And then there would be kind of this civil war that would go on back for the throne. But look, David doesn't do that. David doesn't follow the tradition. Instead, David remembers the covenant that he's made between he and Jonathan. And he intentionally looks for someone in Saul's family, the one who wanted to hunt him down and try to kill him, that he can show kindness to. And so this is the first principle that we need to see from this passage, okay? That we can learn from David in this passage, that the table for our neighbors should be a place of intentional invitation, a place of intentional invitation, See, David's not being provoked by somebody from the outside. It's not like he has a PR guy saying, listen, David, this is going to look really good if you will just, you know, we're going to save some face. Like, I tell you what, you go look for somebody in Saul's household and we'll bring them in and we'll do like the photo shoots where you're sitting there eating the dinner with them, right? That's not happening. It's not like he had a wife who was kind of like nudging him in the ribs being like, you need to be kind. You need to show some kindness. That's not happening, right? David is the one. David is the one who decides to show that kindness. And then look at what it says in verse 9-1, right? It says, David asks. None of his servants came to him. It wasn't his wife. David asks. So David himself is the one that goes on the investigation if there's anybody in Saul's family that he can actually send an invitation of grace to. Now here's the point. We shouldn't wait for our neighbors to invite us. We don't need to wait for them to ask us to come to dinner with them or to come hang out with them. We should be the people that are intentionally looking for those around us that we can love and extend God's grace to. We should be moving towards people. That should be our heartbeat as as followers of Jesus. Our heart should be to move toward people, right? Now, finding an old servant uh, of Saul named Ziba, David questions if he knows if there's anyone still left in Saul's family. And so Ziba knows one person. There's one person that he knows, and his name is Mephibosheth, and he's the grandson of Saul and the son of Jonathan. Now, listen, that that name's going to be something I have to say a lot in this message, Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, okay? So I may stumble over it, so just give me a little bit of grace and forgiveness, all right? Because it's a big word, all right? Um, But David says, okay, we're going to get Mephibosheth. We're going to look for him, okay? Now, here's what I find incredible. I mean, just think about this for a second. David wants to show kindness for Jonathan's sake to the house of Saul. Let's make sure we get those things right. For Jonathan's sake, because of the covenant that he made and because of the relationship he had with Jonathan, but to Saul's family, to his enemy. Okay? 
It was the very man who repeatedly, when he's a boy, tried to impale him with a spear. And then later is going to use the national army to chase him down to try to kill him. That's the same family that we're talking about. Yet David wants to show them kindness. Why? Because of the covenant he made with Jonathan. It was to his enemy, but it was for the covenant. Listen, as people of the new covenant, who have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, when we invite others, those we reach out to should be because we understand for. It's for the new covenant. It's for the covenant of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. So the who, the who of Mephibosheth is that he is David's enemy, okay? For some of us, the person that we probably most need to invite to our table is someone who's offended or hurt us. It might be somebody who's kind of perceived as our enemy. And I know that that's hard. It's contrary to everything in human nature to reach out to someone who has hurt you. But aren't you so grateful that God's given you a new nature? You don't have that old nature. God's giving you a new nature. Through the power of his Holy Spirit inside of you, God is recreating and remaking you. He's given you his spirit and a new nature. Peter tells the church, he says, don't repay evil for evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. So the author of 2 Samuel, he tells us that Mephibosheth wasn't too much for David to really worry about in the first place, right? Did you catch that? It said it a couple of times in the passage because he was lame in both feet. So he's crippled. Mephibosheth is crippled. This meant that Mephibosheth was completely dependent upon other people for his living. I mean, think about this. In a culture and a time where able-bodied men primarily were farmers, were day laborers, were fishermen, he couldn't do any of those things because he can't walk. So the only thing he could do is be sit around and do something with his hands, which is not going to be a very lucrative position for you to be in. And he's not even on his own family's land. It says in the passage that he's hiding. So he doesn't even have his own land to work. Add to that that most people in that time, if they would have seen him as a cripple, they would have said that he's cursed by God. So this, this is who Mephibosheth is. He's landless, he's workless, and he's most likely friendless. He has nothing to bring or to offer to David when David asks him to come before him. So this is another group. This is another group of our neighbors that we should be looking intentionally to invite over. Those who have nothing to offer us in return. They have nothing to give us. Now, I'm sure that if I asked you, I'm sure if I asked you if you knew of someone like that in our community, right, you could probably tell me the, the neighborhood, the street, and maybe even the home of someone just like that that has nothing to offer you in return. Whether that is here in East Bernard, whether that's in Wallace, whether that's in Wharton, whether that's in Nederland, it doesn't matter. You probably know the area of somebody that couldn't give you anything in return if you were to offer them, offer them an invitation for dinner. See, sometimes this is the hardest thing for us to do because we kind of all have our people, right? 
You guys remember uh, the movie, Remember the Titans? Great movie. Great, great movie. Especially if you're a football fan, which, I mean, I'm okay. It's whatever. Uh, but great movie. There's a scene where Louis Lastic, he's the big old white uh, offensive lineman, right? And he goes and he sits down during the lunch. And this is when they're still kind of divided. They're still not talking to each other. And he goes over and he sits down at where primarily all the black athletes are, okay? And he sits down and Julius, kind of the team captain, he says, what are you doing over here? Why don't you go eat with your people? And I love Louis Elastic's response. I don't got no people, Julius. Y'all are all my people. See, that's what it looks like to be a Christian. Everyone is your person. Everyone is your people. We're intentional towards everyone. And you know who did that so well? You know who did that really, really well? You know who was constantly inviting others to eat with him? who had nothing to add to his social status or, or nothing to offer to his ministry or, or nothing to give him in return, you know the answer. Jesus. Jesus, right? Nobody could give him anything. And I, I, love, what this, I love what this author, David Dockerson, says in his book, Neighborliness. Listen to this. He says, Neighborliness is the behavior of Christians who seek to embody the love, understanding, curiosity, kindness and care of Jesus. His life showed us how to love others with open arms. Jesus was constantly crossing the street and beginning conversations with people who were different than him. So good. Please hear me say this, because it's going to be hard. In God's eyes, that was you and I. We were the one he crossed the street for. That's you and I. He didn't choose us, didn't choose you, didn't choose me because we were well off, definitely not because I'm good looking, all right? Not, not because we're athletic. He didn't choose us on that. None of us had anything to offer God. None of us had anything to, to lay before him. And scripture says that while we were still sinners, while we still despised God, Christ died for us. We weren't cleaned up, we weren't well kept, we weren't even driven and ambitious. We were nothing. And we still are. We still are nothing. Yet God sought us out and invited us to be in a relationship with him. Now, here's the last thing that I want us to see from Mephibosheth specifically. See, there I did it. Mephibosheth specifically is where he was. Let's look at where he was. So Mephibosheth is terrified of David, obviously. He's afraid that David's going to hunt him down and kill him. And so the scripture says he's in a place called Lo-Dabar. Lo-Dabar literally means shepherdless or leaderless. Shepherdless or leaderless. See, he doesn't have a king. Not only does he not have a home, but he doesn't have any leadership in his life. He has no direction. He has no purpose for what he's doing daily. I wonder how many of our neighbors... They might be eating well, but they're not living well. Maybe they have no purpose than to live for themselves. That's the only thing that they find. They're lost. They're leaderless. See, that's exactly who we should be inviting to our tables. Those who are lost and leaderless. Listen, Jesus is the great shepherd. That's what he said of himself. And Luke tells us that's the exact people that he came to save. Those who were lost. Okay, 
Now, there's another principle that I want us to see from the passage when it comes to inviting our neighbors to our table. So look back at verse 3 with me. Look at the type of kindness that, that David wants to show to Mephibosheth. It says it's God's kindness. God's kindness. Throughout the Old Testament, the word that's actually used right here is a word in Hebrew that is, means God's kindness. And I want you to get it because it's a word that we're probably going to use truthfully for as long as I'm here because it is such a powerful and important word that's used throughout the Old Testament. It's the word chesed. You going to try saying it? Chesed. I know, you got to kind of like hawk a little bit of loogie there, right? Chesed, okay? But this word is a super important word. It means the unfailing, never-ending, faithful love of God. The unfailing, never-ending, faithful love of God. Okay? In the New Testament, we use another word in the Greek, agape. I'm sure you've heard that word. It's the same word. They're connected together, okay? So David recognized that the kindness that he had been shown by God, the one who took him as the shepherd boy, anointed him with oil, and said, you're going to be the next king. God fulfilled his promise for David because of his loving kindness. And listen to this. I want you to connect. This is so beautiful. Listen to Psalm 23. I know it's one that most of us know because it's, it's used all the time, but listen to this. You prepare a table. Just stop right there for a second. You prepare a table before me in the presence of of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows, and then catch this. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life. See, David gets it. God is a God of loving kindness. And that is the exact same way that David wants to show kindness to Mephibosheth. Because he understands the kindness and goodness of God, he wants to give that kindness and goodness to Mephibosheth. See, if we truly get it, if we truly understand what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, then our tables have to be a place of keen kindness, of understanding kindness because of the kindness that's been shown to us. We will give away what God has given to us. Or I like what one pastor says. He says, those who believe the gospel become the gospel. Those who believe the gospel become the gospel. Okay, last principle we can learn from this passage is that the table for our neighbors should be a place of great generosity. Of great generosity. See, David, knowing the who, the what, and the where of Mephibosheth, David goes above and beyond just showing kindness. Kindness would have been for him just to sit at David's table and to be able to eat with him for the rest of his life. That's kindness. But David goes above and beyond that, and he shows generosity towards Mephibosheth. It's knowing that he could not possibly tend uh, any land that was given to him by himself. David not only gives all of the land that Saul owned back to his grandson Mephibosheth, but he also says, Ziba, you as a servant are going to work this land alongside your sons and your servants. So he gives Mephibosheth all of these people to work the land for him, to care for him and for his family. See, that's generosity. And we mentioned this a few weeks ago when we looked at the idea of giving and what giving should look like for us as a church or for a people, really, of Jesus, Okay. And we talk about this, that our, our lives should be open-handed. 
The things that God has given to us, we recognize that we just give it away anyways. Because he's been so good to us that we just give it away. He's been generous to us, therefore we are generous to others. So here's some questions to think about. What are some ways that you can meet the needs of your neighbors around you? How can you show generosity towards them? Maybe it's simply asking, and you're at work one day, and you're going to grab lunch, that you don't ask them to pay you back. You don't worry about that. Or maybe it's whenever you're in town that you call and you say, hey, I'm in town. Is there anything that I can get for you before I come back? Or maybe instead of giving those clothes from, of your kids to Goodwill, you say, you know what? I know that the neighbors, they have a couple of daughters down the street. Uh, I'm going to say this and see if they would want that. See, that's the kind of generosity that we need to try to understand that God wants us to be about. Okay, so to try and understand this passage, I told you I love this passage, to try to understand this passage without looking through the lens of the cross is almost absurd. I mean, it really is. I want you to just think about this. We are Mephibosheth. You and I are Mephibosheth when it comes to our relationship with God. We were enemies of God. Because of our sin, we were separated from him, and we were enemies of God, contrary to everything he was about. We were lost and leaderless. We were chasing our own way. We were going the way that we wanted to go. And we had absolutely nothing to bring or to offer to him. We are Mephibosheth, but the king sought us out. The king pursued us. He came to us. And through his extreme kindness and his great generosity, he offered us a place at his table forever. Do you see how the story is so beautiful? It's a picture of us. It's a picture of us. And maybe this morning you recognize that you're feeling like Mephibosheth. You know, you feel lost and you feel helpless and you feel like all that God could ever want from you is to exact what you owe him. I owe God. And that's what he wants. He's going to come and take his pound of flesh. But instead this morning, what you need to understand is the king of the universe is extending to you a gracious invitation to come and to join him at his table. Oh, what a beautiful picture to come and to sit at his table. And I love this word, forever. Always. He invites us to come. Brothers and sisters, if that doesn't make us get emotional and choked up, I don't know what can because of what he's done for us. But now we have to extend that kindness and that grace towards other people. If we believe the gospel, we become the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the truth of who you are as our God, that you pursue us. You invite us into this incredible relationship with you because of what your son has done, because of the covenant that we have now through the blood of Jesus. And I pray for every single one of us in here in this place, God, that we would first be grateful for that grace, be grateful for that kindness, and that second, Lord, we will want to become the very gospel that we believe and that we would extend that kindness to others. 
Father, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have questions about this week's message or would like to start a conversation with someone about what it means to walk with Christ, please email pastor at cfeb.church. You can find earlier episodes of our podcast on our website at cfeb.church, where you can also give online to help support community fellowship in our mission to reflect and share Christ's love. We can also be found on many major distribution platforms like Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe to stay connected. Thank you again for listening. Now go out and love one another like Jesus did.